Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. She sat on the edge of her bed and cried. She knew she, could have she took something that could have helped another. Not only that, she had taken what others had given. She had done it for selfish gain. At seven years old, she knew she had done wrong. She kept her picture book open to the page where the protagonist weeps over her own sins. Little did that seven-year-old girl know when she opened that page, she would be cut to the heart. The protagonist had stolen flowers from an old lady's garden, just as that seven-year-old crying on the edge of her bed knew she had taken something precious to those who had given it and from those who should have received it. She ran into her parents' room and confessed her sins, to which they forgave her and replied, you know you feel this way because the Holy Spirit is working on you. She had never had such assurance before. The fact of the matter was, I had stolen money from the church offering at seven years old. And at seven years old, having been washed clean by the blood of the lamb, my Lord God was disciplining me through a kid's devotional book. Clearly, I had been renewed, transformed, changed, set free from the slavery of sin, and had become alive unto God before I'd even been able to do my multiplication tables. But as I have gotten older, as I have become more like Christ, I feel I am becoming all the more wretched. I feel increasingly like a sinner who wrestles. Sometimes it feels discouraging. But all the more, I have felt the power of the Spirit within me to change as often it feels I have had to learn the hard way. In my denominational tradition, we often regularly refer to a document known as the Westminster Confession of Faith, created in the mid-17th century. One of the articles writes this, the most wise, righteous, and glorious God often leaves his own children for a season to various temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for former sins or to show them the hidden strength of the corruption uh, hidden straight the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts so that they may be humbled to raise them to a more close and constant dependence upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for various other just and holy purposes. The God of the universe disciplines me through my own sin. It seems harsh, but consider it this way. The God of the universe who can restore all things to himself and for his glory has not been overcome by the power of sin, but has rather shown his defeat of it by allowing it to restore us to himself. Our sin, something he uses to draw us closer to him. Let me tell you, I have never stolen money again but I have felt bitterness and I have sinned and I have had an attitude that is just completely wrong. Today, I would like to show you how comfort can come and hopefully guide you to the Lord each and every time you sin and fail and fall short of the glory of God. 
And I would like to do that by not only sharing with you the words of God which have comforted me every time, but the poetry I have written to express such emotions. Don't you know? Don't you see? I am not all I appear to be. I look at my life and what do I find? Hypocrisy following me closely behind. They know I'm not perfect. They know that I'm flawed. They know I don't reflect the great unchangeable God. I change like the sun moving through the sky. But perhaps you did not see I was the one in constant motion. Though I try to cover up this ugly heart, here's the ugly part. I have little beauty to this Imago Dei art. I mean, look at me. Don't you see? Do I not wear my heart on my sleeve, the closest ones I hurt while I flirt with those I don't know and show my best face with a disgrace of a heart? Perhaps my attitude is pride, my aptitude to raising my chin while I hide everything, the altitude of this hill of sin. I think I can breathe up here, but I cannot hear myself think. It's like I sink in myself while I raise myself to the highest shelf. No wonder it falls down so easy. And I think that I keep the peace with everyone, but the peace of me I dedicate to God. I give him the worst, the flawed, and he just takes my trash and he grants me a sash of righteousness. I think this mess could invite more grace, as if an advantage in this eternal race, my ugly heart, a part of my sacrifice. Oh, what a gift, how incredibly nice. It will not suffice. So I work real hard and burn myself out with wood so charred it makes my efforts those of vanity, insanity to tire and try to break down each night and only cry that worthy he will make me, that he will take my God-forsaken plea to do enough for him. With this ugly heart, I cannot win. My heart is black with sin. I cannot save my skin. I cannot breathe up here. But he takes my breathlessness and makes it his. Righteousness from the mess of blood from his heart calls me free from my ugly heart. Ugly heart was something that I wrote over the summer when I realized the depth of my sin and I realized how much it had formed barriers in my relationship with God and others. It is my confession, the first step when we realize our transgressions. In Psalm 32, David frequently refers to his own sin, and he comes before the Lord in this wonderful confession. 2 Samuel 11 to 12 tells us of the context for this psalm. David has just committed, uh, David has just committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he pens Psalm 51, which is his um, more proper confession. But now he realizes the abundance of God's grace, and he writes Psalm 32. Dr. Andrew Rogers of the Journal of Biblical Counseling writes that he reflects on his experience and seeks to instruct us on the joy of repentance, the true blessedness of dealing with our sin by honest confession and by receiving God's forgiveness. This is true. And David speaks into the very feeling I had at seven years old and the weight and burden I carried over the summer, writing, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was upon me, 
My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. John Calvin writes concerning these verses, when humbled under the hand of God, David felt that nothing was so miserable as to be deprived of his favor, by which he intimates that this truth cannot be rightly understood until God has tried us with a feeling of his anger. Nor does he speak of a mere ordinary trial, but declares that he was entirely subdued with the extremest rigor. If we are not drawn by forcible means, we will not hasten to see reconciliation to God so earnestly as we ought. We are reminded in verse three and four of Psalm 32 that our sin produces negative consequences and can have ill effects upon us and cause us to go through immense pain. We are reminded that our ugly hearts cause us greater trouble than we know. Perhaps we are uncomfortable to admit, however, that these verses write, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. But remember, my pain over my sin and the discipline that God provides is, using me, is, is being used by God to draw me closer to him. From Psalm 32, we learn of God's discipline. We learn we can be refined, and shouldn't we want that? I want to be tried by fire, purified, take whatever you desire, Lord, here's my life. We should be bowing the knee before God as we face our sin and say, God, use this sin for my close and constant dependence upon you. God can use our sin. Though our bones break and our bodies ache from the weight of discipline, the God of the universe cares enough about his children to discipline them day and night. Do you understand this discipline to be God's abundant care? Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father and the son in whom he delights. And it hurts, and every pain and ache I feel shatters me. But rather than run away from hurt and do what we can to distract ourselves from discipline, shouldn't we allow ourselves to be changed? Verse eight and nine say, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. The eye in these verses is David himself, but it goes without saying that God is using David to be the mode of teaching to his people. And God ensures that we are disciplined and trained and taught if only we would not be stubborn. Let us not run away from it. His teaching is wise and excellent. You guys all know what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We are cut to the heart by the words of scripture and we are sharpened and we feel the pain of knowing God's sharpening, but let us be those who stay near God. And if we are to stay near God, shouldn't we approach him? Psalm 32 writes, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you be, may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Why should I flee from the God who is using my sin to draw me closer? 
If he is the one with his hand heavy upon me, wouldn't he be the one to whom we can turn to free us from that sin? Isn't he the one to whom we can confess? David demonstrates this responsive confession of sins. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. But amid my confession and my acknowledgement of my sin, amid the pain of God's discipline and how much hurt that is brought, I need you guys to know something else just as much. I need you to know that our God saves. You are the better Adam. You see your work and call it good. You toil over all you make and call it your delight. You are the light. You trample the darkness and crush the echoing silence. You heal the man, curse the ground, but judge that which is cursed to the ground, you tread the ground. No whimpering sound for a bruise on heel, yet you heal the blind and return their sight. You grant them sight as you blacken out, carrying a load, a cup of blood, which drip, drip, drips from head, from hand, from heel. And tears from downcast women mingle with blood, then water as it gushes from your ribs. The vinegar mingles too. A stream flows down the mount of death, of life, and now mockery more mountainous than mockery, spit in his face and tears in his eyes and blood on his cheeks as thorns grow into scalp, into temples. The better Adam wearing the curse of Adam whose ransomed blood now streams down tear-stained cheek. And thorns cut deeper into perfection and an agonized eye sees sin's reflection and new streams from the hill see distorted heart still. Soldiers ransoming garments as he seeks to ransom them. Jews calling him criminal, becoming all the more cynical, and irony labeling him king of the Jew, though very true, very few would accept his sceptered grip and pierced him with nails through and through. The reflection in mangled stream grew dim as skies darkened with the death of him. You were the better Adam, Rosemary, thyme and myrrh, but time grew all too short. Sage and frankincense and salt. You called us to be the salt of the earth, but we bring rosemary, thyme and myrrh. We run out of time and walk out of time and time is nothing to any of us anymore. Salt crashes to earth. Her jar explodes as stone lays crushing the roses along the tomb's cold wall. No thorn can harm him now. The river has dried, then we cried, but the better Adam halts the tears. And now a way for us he clears. If Psalm 32 has taught me anything, it has taught me that there is a God we can run to amid the darkness, amid the rush of great waters from verse six. This is because he has trampled the darkness and crushed the echoing silence. He has defeated death and sin. 
Verse seven says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Grogan in his commentary on the Psalms comments that the imagery of God being our hiding place is pretty normal within the Psalms. And it helps us to understand that we have a God in whom we can have close and constant dependence for while he disciplines, he also delivers us from sin and continues to protect us. In fact, while we struggle with sin and face its agonizing consequences, while God allows us to suffer for a time under his discipline, he is our fortress. He is our bulwark never failing, our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. He is the better Adam. For while we are obviously weak and incapable of helping ourselves, we can always come before the Lord. While we bring thorns into the world, he wears the thorns upon his head and calls his death and resurrection victory. We are made righteous through that victory. Shouts of deliverance. Do you hear them ringing in this chapel? Do you praise him knowing he is surrounding you with victory on every side? Do you know you live victoriously because of the hope restored within you? You have felt the pain of discipline, but do you hear and see and feel and know the glory of deliverance? God is daily disciplining you. Praise be to God. The Holy Spirit is leading you to repentance and confession. Praise be to his holy name. But God also provides us the object of our refuge. The better Adam halts the tears. And now away for us, he clears. Do you know that is true? In response, will you have close and constant dependence upon the Lord? I always find it funny to end with the beginning, but I think it provides the assurance that we need as the cherry on top. David is effectively stating our assurance right from the genesis of Psalm 32, saying, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If I may be honest for a moment, I would share something to each one of you. I am a miserable sinner. These past couple of years, I have walked around CIU's campus a lot. (laughs) But these past few years, I don't always show my true colors, where underneath runs an awful darkness. I look at my life and what do I find? Hypocrisy following me closely behind. I am truly filled with the joy of the Lord because of the faithfulness of God to me, because I know I am living right where God wants me, but I know when I'm not living where God wants me spiritually. I have mourned over my sin walking around campus at night. I wish that my testament of tears could elucidate my ugly heart because I have found true comfort in knowing that people know I'm not all that. I hate my sin. Proverbs 8.13 writes, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Psalm 119.104, I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. 
Romans 7:19, "For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep on doing." I remember reaching a point this summer where I broke down over the sin I was committing in my attitude towards my dad. I had done wrong, and I remember yelling out, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of treating everyone else around me well while I treat you like crap. I hate my sin. I never related more to my seven-year-old self. The closest ones I hurt while I flirt with those I don't know and show my best face with the disgrace of a heart. But how joyful my assurance, how joyful that I feel pain because the Spirit is convicting me of wrong. How wonderful that God would rescue me from that. But even more than that, I know my hope. To lighten the mood a little bit, my mom was teaching a Bible lesson to first graders on the story of Noah's Ark. She told them all about the flooding of the earth and the animals walking in two by two and Noah and his family in 40 days and 40 nights in the ark and he, she taught them about landing on the land safely and the rainbow in the sky and then she looked at them and she said, now how do we know that God will never flood the earth again? To which one kid replied, because now we have drains. I hope that we have more hope in God than in drains of this first grader. (laughs) But I know that God is one who keeps his promises and assures us of salvation. Psalm 32 is a psalm of true joy because of its assurance to us. After a beautiful confession and understanding of who the better Adam is, David writes this in Psalm 32's closing verses. Wow, that was light. (laughs) Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Do you realize that it is the steadfast love of the Lord that can give us the greatest assurance we could ever hope for? Do you realize that you wrestle with sin while the love of the Lord has victory over every sin and shame and guilt you experience? Amid every pain I experienced this summer, over the discipline I have felt from the Lord, he has taught me much. For example, as much patience as the Lord has shown me and my stubborn heart in disciplining me, I have had to show him patience as a finite being dependent on an incomprehensible God. But he gave me assurance. He gave me strength. He gave me close and constant dependence on him through these words in Romans 8. They're common. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
a joy to me that you would find security and peace of mind despite the power of my mind to bind me to my circumstances. Taking so many chances, you call from above and witness to your glances, I hear the words of love. It's as if the world around me stops and the longevity of suffering with your words it crops. The halt is the jolt of a reign of a hundred cults. The forceful reign of fear ends, whiplash and I are forever friends. <laughs> Who could care about a jarring break when what matters, what's at stake is not the thing that shatters at God's love preeminent. Tribulation, witness your own cessation, the creation of your fate, the best thing to create when all but you can satiate. Distress, pour yourself out and make a mess, but don't expect to dress and cover your skin when above you reigns a throne, a cornerstone to which you will only groan when you cannot win. Persecution, you are not the solution to injustice in this world. Curled in the comfort of throwing the last stone, the throne will drop, killing your hurtful dictums, and your reign will stop with its fidelity to your victims. Famine, Examine the look in hungry eyes, longing for more than the stomach's cries. Your tries to tempt them away from love, only breaking the glove you'll never use, though always abuse. See, they are the ones God will call sons, the ones whose needs he will choose, and despite yourself, they will not refuse. Nakedness. Look where you've taken us, lost our dignity and respect, and you've never gained an ounce of regret. But shamed at your neglect, you have framed yourself before the judge himself. Danger, you have not been our stranger. You are the great arranger of our fear. But with every tear, you cannot tear us apart from the God of the universe's overflowing heart. And sword, you will win no award for murder. No girder will hold you up when drinking wrath from a cup you are given. You have driven yourself off a cliff, killed yourself before ever creating a rift between me and my Lord. It's love that protects, love that provides, love that perseveres, love that clears the way when everything was in the way. It's love that will stay when chaos abounds. With love, I'm okay, for it knows no bounds. Sounds of the night put fear to flight. But sounds from above, that instance of love, can only reign preeminent with nothing able to prevent. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.